spaceship in the sky to the simulation in the mind. Let's all embark on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. That is Matt Presti. Welcome to the Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe, where we deep dive into the unknown, into the where the mind typically doesn't venture. We do this on Friday nights to get away from politics, but since we're no longer on YouTube, I guess we could really talk about anything we want to now. Um, YouTube has recently uh, deleted both of our accounts, backups, everything. It's completely gone. So not even going to make an attempt to get back on there unless I'm doing something with crypto. But for those that don't know, my my guest tonight, Matt Presti, he was on with the Daily Dose earlier this week. We were talking about uh, Missouri House Bill that is uh, seeking to label um, various different meats that have been genetically altered by vaccines and so forth. Uh, but he's he's much, much more than just a political activist trying to free this country and save the republic. He's also a meta-scientist, a musician, a patriot, philosopher, poet, practitioner of universal law, natural science, and living philosophy audio and video producer, broadcaster, host of the Exploration of Consciousness podcast, Tech, and done so much more. Former Director of Operations and President of the University of Science and Philosophy, formerly the Walter Russell Foundation. Man, dude, you, you just got one of those resumes that just kind of, it's awesome, though. Uh, very well-versed. I remember seeing videos of, of Matt years ago and going, man, he's got some knowledge. And, and now I'm just like so blessed. I've come across you. You joined us a few weeks ago with, with David Whitehead, you, myself. We had, I, I think it was like a four or five hour conversation. And I'm like, we weren't even touching the surface of where we needed to go with this conversation. And so I'm like, hey, let's do another one. And so here we are. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm like, hey, what do you want to talk about tonight? You're like, hookers and crack cocaine, a.k.a. <laughs> Biden. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we could go there. Good um, but you know, I, I think what we should do because there's, there's, I mean, dude, I, I, I'm on Twitter and they gave me my old account back. So I was deleting my, my prime. Well, my old backup account is what I got back. Not my primary account. My primary account is still suspended. Um, but they gave me my old account back and I just been hot on Twitter and, uh, I've been calling this stuff, the restrict act. I don't know if you've heard of the restrict act yet. Yes, I have. So. I was one of the first people just hounding this restrict act. Right when I saw it, we started talking about it the next day. I'm like an active participant in Twitter spaces talking about the restrict act. I read through it. I go, whoa, this is bad. And I was on a Twitter space a few weeks ago and I said, watch what's going to happen next is we're going to have a, a leak of national security information. And right after this happens, there's going to be a massive push to bring about the restrict act. And what would you know? Quite well, literally, uh, like a week and a half later, there it is. And I've been like following this case of the spilled uh, secrets, right? And uh, it, it's actually really hard to go out there and find the 300 documents that this this person supposedly leaked. Um, but listening to various intelligence professionals who are privy to that level of classification, SAP projects, SCI, that type of thing. Um, there was information in here, CIA internal documents. There was FISA warrants in there, um, massive intelligence gathering of, uh, of Russia and China. Um, some things that are incredibly bad for our national security. And so I think what we do is we just touch on this just a little bit tonight, and then we can get into the strange 
and uh, the the unusual and the esoteric, because that's typically where conversations always lead with me. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Restrict Act and this National Security League? Yeah, I don't buy the whole National Security League. It, it's bizarre. It didn't make any sense that it would be a a 21 year old. And if you if, if you ever do research into these people like shooters, like they usually have some sort of a uh, public profile or social media profile. This guy had none, none of the above. So it was really strange. It, it seems to me that that whole thing, it just reeks of a psyop to my intuition, if you will. And mm-hmm. I tend to listen to my gut over what I hear from the news in 99% of the cases, but it just something doesn't seem right about it. Uh, why would a 21 year old number one have access to that level of military secrets? I mean, you're green as hell. I would, I wouldn't give any, if I was in command of, of secrets, state secrets of that magnitude, the last person I'd give it to is an irresponsible national guardsman for one thing. Uh, I think this is just a setup. He's a scapegoat is what it seems like to me. And the very purpose of it is to enact more draconian uh, rules and legislation, perhaps limited or, or directly related to this restrict act which is the, the purpose of the, the leak is to enact these even greater and stronger restrictions on intelligence, which just further entrenches their oligarchy and makes them less visible, less accountable to the public, less, as Barack Obama said, transparent, mm-hmm. right? So everything benefits them. Who does it benefit is the question to ask. Yeah. And, and there is, I, I had some deliberations today because I talked to, uh, one of our good friends, JTAC, on here. There's a few other people that were in this conversation, um, people who are privy to this level of classification. Um, and first thing is he he had a TSSCI, so Special Compartmentalized Information, SCI. So he would have had access to something known as JWICS, which is the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System. It's like the internet um, that the military DOJ, so forth, used to basically an intranet for classified information. The problem with JWICS is that it's compartmentalized, massively compartmentalized, is if there's an SCI, compartmentalized information, you have to have a special password and login. You have to have a dongle that has a hash code on it to get into it. Um, or if it's a SAP program, you have to be read right into that program and you have to have that access to get into those programs. And so it's incredibly compartmentalized. Um, the question that was asked in a lot of different places is, could he have gotten this intelligence few documents in particular from just being on JWICS. And the answer is no. Actually, I got a, I got a good video about this. And this is uh, Judge Napolitano um, discussing this right here. And l- let's, let's just play this because this is Larry Johnson. For anybody who doesn't know, Larry Johnson is like a legend in CIA and intelligence. Um, came in, I believe, under uh, Clinton or Bush or Bush Sr., Um, He was one of the top people doing the intelligence on September 11th, um, Osama bin Laden. This dude is a legend when it comes to U.S. intelligence. Listen to this. This this is just nuts. Coordinated media strategy. This is a disinformation campaign. The documents are real. I'm not saying that the documents are fabrications. They are not. But this cover story that's been manufactured to explain how these documents came to be produced it just falls apart. It most simply falls apart based upon one document in that mix 
which is listed as CIA Operations Center report, top secret. I worked in the CIA Operations Center. I helped prepare those reports. That's an internal CIA document. No one on a U.S. military base anywhere in the world will have access to that kind of document for starters. And is this CIA feeding garbage to their friends in the American and British media? Put it above the CIA. This is elements connected to the office of the director of national intelligence, because that's the one place where you can bring together CIA, FBI, NSA, DIA, all the key elements. They are the one place in the U.S. government where you can assemble all this material. And the way this thing was so neatly packaged up, you know, until I saw that CIA document, I was inclined to believe that this was simply the act of a whistleblower wanting to flag the problems about the public discrepancy between what Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, and Mark Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the lies they were telling in public as opposed to the actual reality of what they were being briefed on uh, in secret and top secret briefings every day. This information was leaked with a variety of purposes to prepare the U.S. public for the crash landing that's going to take place with respect to U.S. foreign policy. So (laughs) this isn't like any low-level dude or anything. This is Larry Johnson, CIA. You do a, um, a search on him. This is Wikipedia page. American blogger and former analyst at the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. He is the CEO and owner of Berg Associates. Um, 1990s and 2008, um, Osama bin Laden, um, September 11th attacks. Um, He has been very outspoken. He's um, massively connected into the intelligence agencies. When this guy comes out and tells you that this is a false flag operation, you better pay attention, right? I mean, like, this is legit. And he's saying, in his perspective, this is to destroy U.S. foreign policy, that the deep state is doing this to themselves to destroy U.S. foreign policy to bring down the United States of America, to take down the United States and make them vulnerable. What are your thoughts? Oh, you're muted, bud. Yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. I think he nailed it. He's right on, you know, it could be real intelligence, but what is the purpose? Whom does it serve? Whom does it benefit? It certainly doesn't benefit the people, but it does benefit the intelligence apparati. And it just, it seems like an obvious false flag to, to exactly, as you said, bring the United States down by bringing down its, its foreign policy apparatus. But that just further entrenches the the uh, technocracy and the oligarchy. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were trying to figure out how this happened because obviously the kid was putting information out there and he's been doing this for quite a few months. And what, what we're thinking is that he was basically, he was memorizing these things and writing them down after seeing them probably on JWix, And eventually he started sharing documentation. So we're thinking that it was uncovered by somebody within the deep state intelligence apparatus that he was leaking classified information on a Discord channel. And they started planting information, targeting him with information through JWix specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is that they probably put his last name probably the same as some colonel, special ops colonel or general or admiral or something, and he somehow got added into a string 
and this is where he got the information or something. But the, even the CIA document should never have been in there. It, it was an internal CIA document. It should never have been within JWIX. So this is this is crazy because this kid's gonna be a scapegoat. And I said it earlier. I said this kid did not kill himself. Right. I, I'm, I'm telling yeah. you, he's gonna he's gonna probably show up dead in a prison cell saying he's sorry, and that's yeah. And it's it's interesting. Somebody's feeding somebody, right? But. The other interesting fact is that he shared it with what some fifteen-year-old kids in a in a game room mm -hmm. chat room, and then they got all nervous once this came out, and now they're all being interviewed by you know intelligentsia, FBI, whoever. So it's it's an interesting ploy. Why would he share it with them and not somebody more credible that could actually, you know, do something with it? Why would it be a group of uh, pimple-nosed teenagers in a game chat room? I agree. Well, if he was going to be a whistleblower, he, there's proper channels he could have went through. Um, but I, th I think that this is him trying to act cool and be the OG in the chat room. If the <laughs> chat room is actually legitimate, here's the thing. Sure. Yeah. These 14 year old kids came forth and they interviewed, I believe for the New York times. Okay. Mm. Do you know their identity? No, they blurred them out. They kept their identity hidden in secret. Yeah, and, and Washington Post broke it too, right? Yeah. Yep. It, it, was this Discord room even freaking real? Now, I bring right. this back because if we go back to the number 17 days, we go back to the seventh floor of the FBI and how they communicated the takedown Trump. They were using Xbox, uh, Xbox live game chats. Hmm interesting now we find them on a discord game server for minecraft what if this wasn't a bunch of kids what if the kids that were interviewed through the new york times were actors what what if this was one big setup and this kid was just ushered around set up by the fbi brought into the discord channel and mm -hmm. he started exposing and they were private meshing him hey go and get some information oh try this passcode try this passcode or maybe try oh or maybe this I'm guaranteeing you that this was a setup on this kid. He was directly targeted and he's the patsy, but this is filling, fulfilling somebody's agenda. No, he was Mick Vade, you know, yep, he, exactly. He was Mick Vade. Yeah. 100%. Right. He's probably thinking, man, I'm, I'm taking part in this operation, uh, game chat or whatever to test the security for xbox rooms or something and next thing you know he's the target spectacle you know well you know it, it's interesting too because I, i've talked about this freely and considering this was stolen out of my military record i, I guess i can talk about it is when i went to boot camp you know i it, it, you go through a gauntlet right so mm -hmm. like when you get in the boot camp you line up and it's all like adrenaline rust or yelling and screaming at you they're pushing you through lines you have to go through a gauntlet and this gauntlet, you know, checks your butthole, grabs your balls, gives you some shots in the ass of penicillin. They give you vaccines. They, they, this is where they issue your dog tag. So I'm going through and I'm like allergic to vaccines, allergic to vaccines. And they come in and give me my red dog tag. And I get to the end of the gauntlet and there's an army officer there. And she pulls me aside and goes, and Seaman Reed, come here, Seaman Recruit Reed, come here. And like, yeah. And she goes, um, we've, We've identified you for being perfect to take part in a five-year medical analysis of your health. I'm like, okay. And she goes, all I need you to do is just sign right here. 
And I signed it. And she opens up this little box, takes out this syringe and a, a little vial, takes it open, goes, lift up your sleeve. I lift up my sleeve, gives me a shot in the arm. And that was it. And the next day, I was sicker than I had ever been in my life. Wow. Had green goo just pouring out of oh. every orifice of my body. Okay. And um, there was inserts in my medical record. And every year, they would send me a survey and ask me about my medical health. Mm. And since it was the army, I just ignored it. I never filled out the surveys. When I transferred from Naval Station San Diego to San Antonio, the day I got into San Antonio, I go check into the barracks and the base, and I knew there's a bar outside of base. I'm like, I'm going to go have a beer. So I drive my car out there. I still had my book bag with passport. Um, I had one of the Tom Tom GPSs. Um, mm. I had um, what else did I have? I had a, like a CD Walkman. This is a long time ago. And then I had my military record and my medical record, and I had them in my back seat in my book bag. And I'm in the bar and I'm getting these weird stares. Like, this is not the bar I wanted to be in. And I'm realizing, like, I probably should go because it feels like someone's going to try to jump me. And I go outside and my passenger side window was shattered. Mm. And my seat was forward. The glove box was emptied, but everything was still there. It was just all over the place. Okay. My, my center console was emptied. Everything was still there. My book bag was unzipped. And I go to my book bag. And the only thing gone are my medical record, my service record still there, my medical Ooh. record, and my passport. Only two things they took. There was things of value in there. There was money in there. They didn't take that. They took my passport and uh, my medical record. So I had to go report all that, right? Well, there's this um, the system in the Navy called DEERS, and they're supposed to keep like digital backups and um, microfiche backups of your medical records. Right. Well, the problem was, is I was transferring from one command to another. So my deer's record is not sent off to um, Bupers. Instead, I'm carrying it with me. And it was in my medical record. So that got taken as well. So my whole first five years of service, my medical record, gone, including that specific part. And I actually had this all documented, which is cool because I went to the VA when I went to the VA, I had all of this documented in my official record. So, it, and what that that thing was, uh, that that trial they put me in through, I have no idea. No freaking idea. But that's kind of how it works. Is what if this kid was just approached and said, hey, look, we're, we're testing out a few things and we want you to come along for the ride. Um, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go into a Discord room. We're, 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 this is top secret, top secret project. You're going to work with us. We're going to try to catch Russian agents in the discord channel and so you're going to work for us what we're going to do is we're going to give you access to highly classified information you're going to put it onto this discord server and it's going to be looking like there's kids but they're actually russian agents we're trying to catch them stealing this information and he goes on there he they he gets the access he gets the documents from these people who are just agents setting him up because this is what the fbi does and now he's the patsy because that's what the fbi does the first world trade center bombing was exactly this this was an Arab man who was hired by the FBI to take part in a joint law enforcement exercise of a potential bomb going off in the World Trade Center. And he was the guy who was driving the van with fake explosives. And sure enough, it was real freaking explosives. Right. That's typical, you know, the 93 uh, World Trade Center bombing with the park in the van. Mm-hmm right on next to the Callum. So yeah, the, the, it seems to me that <laughs> they can't really, they can't get 
natural terrorism. So they got to create it just like AI. It's, it's, it's just yet one more AI simulation. So Mm -hmm. really in order to build the new world order, the world government, you have to bring down first world countries and Europe and the West being the United States, Europe, and maybe one country here or there, Australia is gone. You know, um, we're really the only thing, the last bastion standing in the way of their desire for world government. And so these false flags, they all serve to decapitate and cut the legs out from underneath Western idealism. And it is a battle against idealism. The whole approach of this weapon system is collectivity mm-hmm. and it's dependent on collectivity. Um, I don't know if you caught that clip from Neil deGrasse Tyson with Del Bigtree, where he says that the individual scientist doesn't matter. It's the consensus. Dude, I was so outspoken about this. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the same way our op- operations happen in intelligence agencies these days, because they know that, you know, the, the communist system commune means community or, mm-hmm. or, uh, collective basically so in order to have a system of total control you need to collectivize individuals when when this country was founded interestingly enough there were no geniuses in the number that we saw them around the turn of the 20th century in any continent anywhere in the history of mankind until there was a place where individuality was championed over collectivity collectivity and that's what provided the soil and the nutrient for the growth of genius is the individual path the right to be an individual mm-hmm. so in order to uh and you're not going to see the kind of genius rise up until that environment is provided so of course if they cut that out they they make the individual the enemy the person who thinks for himself the enemy and as degrasse tyson said i don't care about the individual it's the consensus that's all that matters well dude your entire science and your field came from individuals who stood against the catholic church and dared to challenge it some burned at the stake giadorno bruno ring a bell anybody oh dude that is exactly what i said I'm, i'm looking for the tweet right now because when he was saying it's it's about the consensus it's about the consensus i'm like when in history did science ever progress at the result of the consensus? When? Exactly. Never. Right. Not one point. Cur- Copernicus, Bruno, the, the list goes on. I mean, yep. Tesla, Feynman, J.J. Um, Thompson. We got uh, Maxwell. This mm-hmm. was the individual effort that went against a consensus norm. Einstein, whether we love him or hate him, Right. This is the individual that went against the consensus and revolutionized science. So, and I even tweeted that to Neil, and obviously he's not going to reply to that. But, but that's the truth: is the consensus is what produces persecution, is what why you have which is burning at the stake. Right, and Neil likes Bud Light. I've heard, so it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, uh, consensus equals collectivity, and individuality equals genius really and that's really what it's always been about because geniuses aren't concerned with elevating their own life they they work to elevate the rest of the world that's why they give their inventions to other men you know alexander graham bell didn't design the telephone so he could talk to himself 
you know, he wanted to see people be able to communicate. Um, you know, um, Edison, as much as a, of a dick as he was mm -hmm. to Tesla, he designed the motion picture camera. I mean, if you've ever made documentaries with your own camera, I mean, thank Edison. You know, despite, like I said, people can be dicks, especially geniuses or some of the most misunderstood people on the planet. But every gift that we enjoy that's made our lives easier, we owe to the genius of an individual. It's just counterintuitive that, you know, these so-called experts and, and great scientists of our day would say such things like DeGrasse Tyson, but it tells you everything you need to know. And it also lets you know that inversion seems to be the rule of the day. So you mm -hmm. simply have to have the wherewithal and the intelligence to be able to flip things around upside down and inside out to be able to make sense of them. Absolutely. And here's a quote by David Douglas. Indeed, scientific truth by consensus has had a uniformly bad history. I went on to say Isaac Newton replaced uh, the Aristotelian physics model that was widely accepted as consensus. Nicholas Copernic uh, Copernicus replaced a, a polymatic model, which was the uh, with the heliocentric model, with which polymatic model was the consensus. Other notable names to remember: Einstein, Maxwell, Tesla, Thompson, Feynman, Hawking. So the list goes on. Quite literally, all high human scientific achievement can be focused on those men and women who went against the present consensus. And I even called Neil out here. And for anybody who hasn't heard that, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on with Dell Bigtree, and um, he just argued against the vaccine being safe and effective because the consensus said so. The consensus said so. And that was his whole basis of argument, which was absolutely absurd. Another point to this is, is it shows the scientific community has been hijacked by Marxist ideology because the focus on the community, the consensus, is communism in nature, where individualism is the, the heart at what America is really about. And that's why we have a republic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that entire system is what's under attack because they can't take over the world and collectivize the human race into an AI-controlled system of bots if they don't if they have individuals running around throwing uh, sticks into their cogs, right. disrupting the machine or, uh, you know, <laughs> stopping the machine from moving forward. So it's always an individual that challenges the status quo or the consensus in order to bring the human race up a notch higher. And one, one name I'd add to the mix, and of course, you know why, is, is Walter Russell. He's another one who in 1927 wrote a two-way motion universe cosmology and not even five years later the catholic church releases a one-way heat death dying universe of only exhalation now why would they do that because they were threatened now you know what you know why machiavelli he wrote the prince and he said the the number one key for a ruler to keep his power if reciprocal rule which means two-way which means I love my people, my people love me. Well, when they stop loving the leader, do you know what he recommended the leader should do? Rule by fear, hmm. which is a one-way street, right? There's no reciprocation when it comes to fear. And so what does the Catholic Church do when it's, you know, a Walter Russell comes along with a two-way motion, universe of reciprocation based on love, which is scientifically defined as giving for re-giving, 
they create and have their Jesuit priest, Monsignor Georges Lemaitre, release a one-way heat-death-dying universe based on fear. We're all going to die in a big rip in a billion years, so there's no point to any of this. It's, it's sort of their protectionism mechanism against the fear of them losing their control as being middlemen between us and our own creative faculties, or our own divinity within. So, so I, go ahead. Go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I see, I see that as a defensive mechanism. It's Machiavellian in every way, shape, and form. If it's one way, it's, it's based on fear. Right. Fear only knows one path. Love is reciprocal, so it's always two ways. So what are your thoughts then for the ingrained human drive and desire to control, to dominate, to, to, to do what they do? Um, I mean, we can, we can look at history and find a multitude of various different examples that typically organize these organizations stem from religions, uh, the cults to, to sex, to, to political organizations, to think tanks nowadays or, or whatever. But what are your thoughts behind the, the true motivation of this? Well, you know, that's interesting because you can go back to Rome and you can see how they had 50 states in the East and so many in the West, and they tried to have a world empire back then. You can go back to Babylon, you can go back to Samaria and, and uh, Greece and so and so and so. And typically, the elites, when they reach a certain level, things become perverted, the character of the nation begins to decline licentiousness, homosexuality, things like this increase. And when they did in Greece, guess what they did? They threw their statues into the ocean. Hmm. Okay. This is not, this has happened before 28 times, 29 times, actually, uh, civilizations have fallen. And I think it's as I would agree with the Russells that it's an imbalance, but I would go further to say that the elites, the fat cats get so drunken in their state and their power trips that they end up derailing from within, you know, the rot comes from within and it makes it weak. And then they become subject to attack from without hmm. just like, you know, you, you weak, your immune system gets weak. You're going to be more susceptible to germs and things in the environment, if you will, or terrain, certain things, whatever you believe doesn't matter. You're going to be more permeable to infection of it, all kinds of sorts. But what drives these people I would say their desire for, for control is directly proportional. Their, their desire for external control is directly proportional to their lack of internal control. I think it's a mere universe. And you can tell this about people because the more they, you meet an angry person, this person has nothing but shit to say to somebody or you, or they're spewing hate and anger. That's what they feel inside for themselves. Mm -hmm. You cannot give out that which you do not first possess. So that's the rule of thumb that I would go by. <laughs> you nailed it. Exactly what I was thinking too, that uh, their, their external expression is a reflection of their internal world. And yep. the question is, is, is that because they're, because a lot of these people, they're, they're, ordained and indoctrinated into some deep, dark occult stuff. So mm. the question of spirituality is, you know, do they have a soul? 
are they soulless? Are they are they lost within the discovery? Are they just on the the wrong unbitten path? What are your thoughts on that? I would say they're they followed the path of hedonism. It's sort of the left hand path, if you will. Um, I call them body dwellers or externalistic uh, materialists. Materialistic externalists. That's mm -hmm. the, the name I like to use. In other words, they live for the glory of their own senses alone. They don't really live for the glory of the spirit, you know, and, and the spirit is where, where the real wealth of life is. You know, you'll get more out of looking at a rose than you will the, the numbers in your bank account if you know what you're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. But to them, it's all about how can we gratify the senses? How can we bathe in the blood of toddlers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's, there's endless rituals and dogmatic things that they've done for thousands of years. Um, they're external gods. That tells you everything. To the degree that they don't know their own divinity is to the degree that they worship an external deity hmm. and believe in externalisms. The less light you have in yourself, the more darkness you possess, which means you're, you're trying to extinguish the light to gather, to, to forcibly take light from others. And who's the light of this world? The little children, they're most innocent. So it's sort of like Jim, Jim uh, Henson tried to tell us in the dark crystal, the essence, right? They mm -hmm. want the essence. What is the essence? Um, adrenochrome, anybody? <laughs> right? What are they draining out of these little pod people or the little children, you could say? I and mean, he's giving us a clue. I think he was aware of this, despite his his own uh, particular interests and whatnot. He was a storyteller who gave us hints and clues, as many others have. Mm -hmm. So we can take a lot from, you know, a good study on the psychology of these people. But ultimately, I think they lack light within themselves. So it drives them like a moth to the flame to seek it in others and snuff out others light and try to take it for themselves. It's so like Harari, you know, he's, he's a total body dweller. He wants to download his consciousness into a computer. Uh, he says, God isn't necessary that they're the gods now. I mean, if that isn't hubris and hubris always gives away the people on power trips because they're so confident that their evil schemes are going to be, you know, the next big thing and that they're, they're completely, they, infallible. They can't be touched. They can't be stopped. And whenever it gets to this level, that's when they're going to get rocked. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a time that comes when this can only go so far. The pendulum always swings back. And, and when the men of this world, <laughs> this is, this is what I'm getting in my heart. When good men get driven to the point that they can't take this shit anymore, they will literally Good men in this world will become more evil than evil. And that's something these sons of bitches aren't going to understand. They're going to be like, oh, my God, I thought we were the bad ones. What? Look at what these guys are doing. Well, you know what? You pushed us over the line, and now you're going to pay the price. You always pay the piper. You know, I, I uh, used to think I was above the law. Dude, I got my ass handed to me. The universe went, get the fuck out of here, peon. Here's your, here's your uh, reward for your you know, violation of universal law. And to the degree that you violate it is to the degree it will break you. And I don't suggest you go out and try it, but if you really want to be my guest, you know, it's your life. Pain is your teacher. 
But, you know, we can learn from watching these folks and we can also defend against them. Uh, Defending Against the Psychopath is a great documentary, too, because that's what we're dealing with. Mm. You know, you said about uh, becoming that one person that they don't want to see. There is this uh, this long quote out there I want to read here. And this is something that I live by because I feel it within myself. And I know you do as well. It's called the men who wanted to be left alone. The most terrifying force of death comes from the hands of the men that wanted to be left alone. They try so very hard to mind their own business and provide for themselves and those they love. They resist every impulse to fight back, knowing the forced and permanent change of life that will come from it. They know the moment they fight back, the lives as they have lived them are over. The moment the man who wanted to be left alone are forced to fight back, it is a small form of suicide. They are literally killing off who they used to be, which is why when forced to take up violence, these men who wanted to be left alone fight with unholy vengeance against those who murdered their former lives. They fight with raw hate and a drive that cannot be fathomed by those who are merely play acting at politics and terror. True terror will arrive at the left's door and they will cry, scream and beg for mercy, but it will fall upon deaf ears. That's <laughs> sums that up. I mean, it's, it's the truth. Beautifully said. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're barking up a tree that you're going to have to have to answer for you. You mm-hmm. fuck with a hornet's nest long enough. You're going to get stung. You know, that's the way nature is. Everything in nature has a defense mechanism no matter what it is from the largest to the smallest critter, you know, it, you just don't want to mess with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with that quote. Who, who wrote that quote again? It's unknown. Okay. Well, that's, that's badass for sure. It, it, it absolutely is. And you know, when I start thinking about a lot of this, because yes, everything is unfolding in the sense of a political sense, a social sense, a cultural sense, But one thing that people don't typically look at is how all of those things are internal expressions of our spiritual nature, that everything that is created and manifested in front of us is a manifestation of what exists within us. And that as they attack our social structures, our cultural structures, our political institutions, our academic institutions, they're not only attacking these physical things outside of us, but also these internal things within us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are ideas. There are institutions that were founded to benefit man, the individual, you know, as much as it's imperfect, you got to remember this. These are all basically systems that we created and we created them with good intentions, right? The road to hell is often paved with good intentions But to add to that, it is never paved with clarity. And so you need to renew things over, over many millennia, many, many hundreds of years, centuries, decades, things should be renewed. And daily you should renew your own mind so that you don't fall or become susceptible to people who would sabotage uh, the good in you by twisting your perception by programming you or influencing you or inverting your points of view, like so many people. You know, I went to get my beard trim yesterday morning and I go to this barber shop here in, in uh, Virginia and this young lady sitting on the, on a park bench with a cell phone. And I go, do you guys trim beards here? She said, yeah, but um, 
you don't mind to wear a mask, do you? I said, yeah, I actually do. I, I, they're ineffective. They actually make, you know, can cause bad health. And, you know, this whole thing's over. And she goes, well, do you mind if I trim your beard outside? Because my mom won't let you in unless you wear a mask. So obviously your mom runs the barbershop. I said, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I just wanted to get it done. And I, I was interested. I wanted to see where this thing was going to go. Right. She's a very pretty young lady. So she comes out and she puts on a mask outside in the sunlight on a beautiful day. And she starts, you know, trimming my beard. It takes about five or 10 minutes. She's done, takes her mask off. And, you know, I pay her the money and I say, you know, it really is. What, what was my exact quote? I said, it really is sad to put a mask over such beauty. Hmm. And I walked away. That was it, you know, and I just felt for, I really did. It's like these poor kids that are, you know, she had to be 22 and they don't get it, you know, because the parents don't get it. And so it's a direct reflection that noetic darkness, noetic being mind, that darkness of the mind can literally affect the children, even into their adult years. Yep. And I really blame a lot of the parents for this too, but you know, the mind control is strong in this world and the inversion is incredibly strong, but the more we fight against it, the more we can plant little seeds in these people's minds. I'm, my hope is that one day I'll drive by that barbershop and I see her without the mask outside. You know, that's, that's my hope. Do as do little acts of kindness and good where you can try to affect those who you can in a positive way. And if somebody comes to your door with intent to harm you, then meet them with the same intent to defend yourself. We have that right as nature affords us. So we're not helpless, but at the same time, I think we can do a lot to, to change perception. 100% agree. Um, in the sense of inversion. Now, if we look at recent years, I'd say the last hundred years or so of history, it's as this, as if, the factor of inversion has been exacerbated, right? It's massively been exploited to the point where it's no longer hidden. It's no longer concealed. It's uh, it's talked about openly. I just heard that, uh, what was it? I was looking for the post, but uh, I think it was the UN just came out and said that they're, they're lifting the restrictions for nations on um, consent laws. So they're no longer going to put an 18-year-old minimum consent for sexual relations with with children. They're they're lifting right. it. The United States is the only country that will still have that limit. Like this is blatant in our face. So do you think that the factor of inversion because I I believe that we've been in this system of slavery for a long time, this system of evil for a long time. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this point of inversion is coming to the surface is rising from the darkness into the light because the tide is shifting from this dark evil aspect into this, this good, powerful light aspect, if we can grasp it. Absolutely. hundred percent. And we're seeing that because you look at this platform on rumble, just, just take rumble D live. You can add, you can add Rockfin. All these new systems are coming up there. Things are coming online just when you thought YouTube, yeah, they let them ban you, right? You got banned off of there how many times, right? You've got a lot of trophies, a lot of medals, but it's certainly not the end. And it's just, it 
the more they squeeze, the more the clay comes out of the fingers. Mm. So I think their inversion is becoming inverted. There's, there's, you can only go so far with inversion before that inverts and becomes its opposite. And then everybody sees it, you know, and I think we're at that point where I interviewed Dr. Berlando recently and he said, there's only so far something can go before it reaches its point of fulfillment. Mm. And then there's no choice but for a change to occur. And I think that could be a worldwide change in perception. Some call it the hundredth monkey. I don't think there's a magic bullet though, but I do think that the emperor will appear naked before the whole world at some point. I mean, look what happened with the Dalai Lama. Suck my tongue, right? Give me a fucking break. Whoever thought that would happen, you know, now everybody's on to the, you guys just did a, a, a show I've yet to watch, but it's, oh, it's there it is. I mean, everybody and their brother who's a Buddhist should be crawling to hide under a rock right now. You know, I wouldn't want to show my face around a temple after that fucking admission to the world. Right? Well, and what people didn't know about that kid is he wasn't just any eight-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. He's the third in charge in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. He's actually... He's the reincarnation of the third that died a few a few years ago. And so he's the head of Tibetan Buddhism in Mongolia and the third Rapanche in line, uh, well, underneath the Dalai Lama. And yeah, so and my, my thoughts were is that the guy that was reincarnated, the guy who died, was most likely the Dalai Lama's gay lover. Right. I was just going to say the kid's probably wishing he'd have picked a different planet to reincarnate on, but... <laughs> It's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's huge. It's huge. And and that's inversion becoming inverted, where, where yep. it becomes naked. It becomes known. What was hidden shall be made into the light, you know, and, and, you know, the darkness cannot cast out the light. The light can cast out the darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And Pluto is peeling back the curtain. And I don't mean the planet, I mean the psychological aspect of the traversion of planets across time and space. These things are like archetypes. And psychologically, we're seeing some really incredible changes happen to the human race. And it's as if Terrence McKenna had what he called a time wave, but he Mm -hmm. foresaw basically a nexus point where there was going to be this uh, point of no return, you could say. And I'd say that that is a real point that could be along the lines of a psychological, not only psychological, mental, let's say, but also emotional, spiritual, and physical all at the same time. And really, that's something I think all of us are being prepared for through these kind of inverted inversions coming to the surface becoming known you know these things if you'd have said 20 years ago you know the dalai lama's a pedophile people would have laughed you out of the room but you say it now and and you see the buddhists run for cover right yeah. they don't want an association with that so <laughs> it's interesting to me um i do hope to see it in my lifetime and i'd say that as crazy as things are getting and as desperate as the deep state which is really worldwide you know, 9-11 was an inside and an outside job, not just inside folks. But, you know, this global uh, criminal syndicate of criminally insane psychopaths, 
uh, they only have one MO and that is control. And again, I think they're bound by universal law and their Achilles heel is their, their confidence, their overconfidence, their hubris is the, the right word to use. Yeah. And often when, when the bully's strutting, when he's walking all tall with the big stick, that's when he trips. And there's going to be a point when these fuckers trip and there's going to be no coming back from it. No amount of stories on the news are going to reverse the, what people have seen. How are they going to damage control the Dalai Lama? You know, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger comes up. I'm sorry. I said, screw your freedom. Well, <laughs> too late dumbass you know well, you're in a nazi belt right yeah you're nazi belt buckle wearing motherfucker <laughs> i hope i can cuss on this show oh absolutely we're not on youtube there um, you go you know <laughs> you you mentioned pluto there and i know that this is kind of one of those fringe topics but you also mentioned natural law and can can you explain how natural law deviates into uh derives into um, the archetypical nature of our mind, our, our consciousness, and really kind of maybe show the differences between the evil that's in this world, what's being perpetuated from the derivation of natural law to, to the good and, and, and how the two are different and how these, this archetypical nature of what we would consider uh, the, the inner astrology, the inner tarot kind of expresses that and shows us how to kind of read it as a map. That's a great question. I'm, I'm not so up to date on the tarot, but I will say what I know about natural law is there's no leftovers. Um, if you, if you don't create a balance in your life, there's a leftover, there's a residue mm -hmm. and that imbalance will seek to write itself through some future balance action that has yet to occur. Um, it's often said people who are evil live longer and they can do all this evil and it seems like nothing ever happens to them. Well, when you don't have a conscience, it's kind of, think of it that way. It's what really happens to you if you're not conscious, if you live without a conscience, you know, you're, you're more of like just a body dwelling externalistic materialist who's led around by their senses, lives for the gratification of their senses alone, typical hedonist, right? Mm -hmm. but somebody that's consciously aware and has empathy developed within their psyche is going to be more aware of an imbalanced action. And when they create an imbalanced action, the reaction of somebody that gets is, is the target or the recipient of that imbalance, which is often hurt pain. You'll recognize that if you have empathy, if you don't, you'll just go right by it. Like it doesn't mean anything. So in a sense, these people may seem to skirt universal law and, and have some evil that aids them in their doings and such, but the, everything is recorded in this universe through the eyes, through the ears. God is the great recorder is what I would say. I wrote a paper on it some years ago, but literally every ritual, every underground uh, blood ritual they do, every session at Bohemian Grove, every sacrifice they've ever made going back to the beginning of time is recorded. The great universal consciousness knows all. You cannot hide. This is a 
repeating and recording universe, uh, a creating universe. And it's dependent on the previous actions in order to make the future actions happen. So when a residue is left over, if you don't balance that residue, it creates a pattern until it is balanced. Mm. Being a thought wave universe, we have to be careful how we proceed in this universe because every imbalance will eventually be accounted for. And despite the fact that they seem to have gotten off the hook, the check will come due for these people. And whether they can pay it or not doesn't matter because it's going to hit them one way or another. Just like it hits every one of us as individuals, you can go about your life and try to skirt natural law and get around it. But eventually, to the degree that you violate it, you will be violated by it. You'll be broken by it. Mm. And the more good you are, the quicker the repercussion. The more evil you are, the longer that repercussion takes. But eventually, you can only hold that pendulum back for so long before it becomes bigger and bigger like a snowball starts at the top of the mountain by the time it reaches the bottom, it's as big as a moon, right? So, you know, to the degree these people violate this, this law of balance is to the degree it will break them. And I think the planets and the archetypes all play a role in this. You know, it's really a psychological experience. We, in my humble opinion, I believe, I know, I'd say through my own experience, that we live in a universe of mind and mind is the final arbiter. And the key of reaching the alchemical enlightenment is to become conscious of your own consciousness. And you do that through empathy, through the study of, you know, the emotional, the physical, mental, and spiritual sides of yourself, the integration of all of those things and the awareness of how you and others interact and how you affect others and how others affect you and just trying to lead a balanced life is going to create the most good. And that's what we call good. Good is balance. If it's out of balance, we call it bad. When you're on a branch 30 feet in the air and you lean too far to the left and you fall and you break your neck, that's not good, right? Yeah. <laughs> but some guy on a tightrope in a circus, he falls off that son of a gun. We say, oh my God, that's bad. The guy died, right? Should have put a net underneath him. But if he makes it across, we say that's good. The same is true with life. If you make good decisions, you create balance, which is good. If you make bad decisions, you create unbalance, and that's what we call evil. It's really that simple. Well said, Ben. Um, you know, in my, in my studies of, of variations of natural law, um, looking at it is I always give the description of the dark magician versus the light magician to where the light magician seeks balance within the natural harmony, the natural resonance within natural law and the dark magician. What they do is they seek to influence the actions of others who are ignorant or nescient to where the influence of the ignorant and nescient produce the desired result that they wish to get. Well, the nescient and the ignorant have the karmic infliction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Lord of the Rings, when Sauron, Saruman, excuse me, becomes evil and his mind turns to metal, as Gandalf said, or or the uh, the Ent says he's got a mind of metal. You know, he becomes industrial, industrious. He turns his, he begins 
shaping metal and swords and mixing men and orcs, you know, and goblins together to create the orcs and so on and so forth, or the Urukai. So his mind goes to shit. He begins to create unbalance. He starts chopping down the trees, right? And uh, how do the Ents react once they figure out this son of a bitch just murdered half the forest in Isengard? They're not happy about it. They, they realize, you know, their empathy for their loved ones who were cut down causes them to rise up right after they just agreed not to take part in the wars of men. It becomes personal at that point. As they say, in times of trouble, stay true to yourself and your heart because mighty forces will come to your aid. Hmm. You know, there are many mighty things in this world that will not tolerate this kind of imbalance. And the way these men... And, and women who are part of this new world order of cultian of setian atonists of this cult, right? Satanists, if you will, the inverted ones, uh, when their day comes and their inversion inverts and becomes apparent to all, you know, read that poem again. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's gonna, the check is going to come due. It does for everybody. And that's universal law. And that's, whether it takes a thousand years or 10 minutes, I'm confident that the check will come due and somebody's going to have to pay for it. But those who have been empathetic and good in their lives to seek balance is what being good is. You know, if you're a good fighter, you're a balance fighter. If you're a good basketball player, you play in the zone. That's because you've got balance. You're not tripping over yourself, falling over the ball, tripping on the court. You know, if you're playing tennis and if you're doing martial arts, if you're playing music and you're not screwing up and you're balanced and your notes are on key and, and, and your timing is good, they're going to say you're a good player, right? So really it, it's balance versus unbalance. I, I like that perspective too. Um, we, we, me and uh, David had Tassarian on, Michael Tassarian, mm-hmm. yep. uh, a few weeks ago. Enjoyed the hell out of that. Oh, great show. He, he's yep. phenomenal. Um, and I asked Michael a question, and the question was specific because we were talking about the uh, satanic lesbian death cult, right? Um, and I said, do you think, because he, he always talked about the balance, that there is always some opposing force in existence. And I said, I asked him, do you think that there is a force of light on this planet right now, a, a cult or a religion or an organization that is fighting against him? And he said, no. What are your thoughts on that? I heard that answer and I respectfully disagree. I think the, the force is not a cult. It's not an organization of people who even necessarily know they're organized. I would say the, the, it's a resistance and I would call it mothers, mothers who love their children and love their men to be men. That's the resistance. That's the good Mm. side of this all. And just because the moms You know, you could say moms for Trump or moms for the classroom or moms for uh, getting rid of the library books that are full of uh, sexual innuendos from the, you know, trans movement or whatever the hell that you you don't need necessarily an organization with a label to have resistance from a good perspective. Mm -hmm. So the white magicians of the female side of this whole spectrum are the mothers who love their children who love traditional family and love their men and support their men. I would say that's the real resistance. And there's hundreds of millions of them worldwide. Now, whether or not they're aware of their enemy is a whole different story. So, you know, it's not that they're necessarily in the ring fighting each other, but there are 
a growing movement of moms becoming involved with parent-teacher associations, getting involved with school boards. We saw record turnout for school board takeovers and flipping school boards upside down and actually inverting the inversion, Mm -hmm. I call it, right, of in Florida, massive uh, school board takeovers in a lot of counties. So these are the victories that you never hear about on the news. So I would say those are the the women of light, if you will, the, the white warriors who hold that light of balance and fight day to day to protect their children, to back their husbands and ask their husbands to be the men they're supposed to be, to demand it of them. I'm, I'm really happy to, to uh, hear Michael say that <laughs> half the problem that women face is the men are too stupid to really know yep. what their role is, especially in this ultra highly feminized society. But 100% I'm behind the women who aren't named, whose whose motherly instincts and their true nurturing spirits are the light that's keeping what families are left together and supporting their children and, and supporting their men and doing what they need to do to protect them from this onslaught. Exactly. And, you know, I, I would actually respectfully disagree with Michael uh, on, on this as well, because I do believe that there is a, a spiritual culture and revolution occurring right now that is the opposition to this evil. And and like, that's, that's what we are. I mean, you know, we can think about how much more together and nothing against the, the, the establishment religion, but how much together and more organized Christians are now in the last five years because of all this massively massively just think about how everybody now is combined and coming together combining forces you, you know you have and, and nothing about like i'm not making labels here but the christians out there are now joining in conversations like this mm-hmm. and, and being like yeah everybody's entitled to their belief it's cool but like we got the deep state to fight right yeah and, and that's the the fusion that occurs that that spawns new spiritual revolutions that spawn a golden age in in ingenuity and imagination and and I think that that's really what's coming up right now <clears throat> as well as I wanted to touch on this because I I already know kind of what you're going to say on this but we, we've had various different figures throughout history Walter Russell being one of them Wilhelm Reich um Tesla um Schauberger. The, yeah, right. Yep. That there is this pervading force existent within the universe that flows through everybody and everything. Kind of like the, the Midiglorians in Star Trek or Star Wars. Sorry, in Star mm-hmm. Wars. Do you think that that force itself seeks balance? That it, it sees imbalance within a world and will accumulate within those that can become its container and become expressed out. You asked that question and a massive lightning bolt and thunder boom just cracked outside the window. Well, the, that force is balance itself. It's, it's one. Mm-hmm. And in order to be two, it has to divide. And when white light divides, it becomes the color spectrum. Goethe put the seven primary colors on a wheel and he spun it. And when you spin those colors, they turn the whole wheel turns white. Right. That's what 
the division comes from. That's what the light bulb over the head symbolizes. That's what the classical illumination experience that Christ, Buddha, you name it, experienced. Um, even Shakespeare to a degree and Blake and Honoré de Balzac. And you can go on and on. Walt Whitman. There's, I love that name, Honoré de Balzac. Yeah. <laughs> Frenchman. Cool guy. Yeah. Very interesting philosopher. Honoré um, de Balzac. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a ball sack, right? <laughs> honor so, it. Yeah, honor it. So, yeah, it's it's important to realize that, you know, the good comes from, I mean, the whole universe is good. Everything is really good at the end of the day, even the evil, because this is hard for a lot of people. I'm going to just yeah. preempt this. It's difficult to see that unbalance in other words, when I say evil, I mean unbalanced, and I specifically mean unbalanced because it, it wouldn't be evil if it was in balance, number one. But evil itself is a good thing. Why? Because it teaches us how not to be. There's a lesson in this. And ultimately, the whole trainee thing, the LGBTQ, RSTUVWX, one, two, three, in a hundred years, Historians are going to look back at these times and they're going to be learning tools to teach people how not to be. So you could really say, and I agree with Walter Russell in this aspect, that all is truly good in this universe because what isn't good is out of balance and that out of balance creates the pain that is necessary to teach men how to find balance again. And that's what we're learning collectively and individually. And that's the hard lesson. If we were in balance, we wouldn't need these lessons. So, and it's, again, it's an individual journey as much as it is a collective one. You know, Bill Gates has bad days. I'll guarantee it. You got that pie thrown in his face. He thinks that's tough. Wait till he experiences some things that are yet to come. You know, there's check due that will come due for every individual as well as all collectives in this world. And, you know, the question is, can they afford to pay it? But that's where I think pain is one of the greatest teachers. It reminds us of what is good, because when you stop feeling the pain, you've achieved a state of balance again. And whatever it takes to get us back to that point, to get us back to the respect of natural law and living within the, the rule of universal law, which is the application of balance in our lives, whatever it takes to get there, I'm all for it. Even the pain. Uh, I agree. I agree. And I think that, I think that humanity right now, whether it's known or unknown is moving through this, uh, this minutia of the world, trying to seek that balance, trying to understand who and what they truly are. Because I, I, I look at it in the sense of individualism. And we talked about this a lot in the sense Wednesday, me and David, um, discussing altruism and discussing uh, Buddhism, how it's really just another altruistic movement of communism. Um, this is really what the philosophy is about, the end of individualism. There is no existential reality. Everything exists within you. You are the center of everything. It's solipsism, just rebirthed again, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, I said this last night, and I was on uh, after chat, and, and someone came after me because I said this, and I said, look, you know, this is about understanding and knowing yourself. Now, that's different than what we're talking about in sense of solipsism, right? That finding that inner consciousness, that inner being and embracing it 
understanding it, loving it. Um, this is what allows us to grow. And my philosophy is, is really simple. I can explain it simplistically and very complexly, right? But it's really, really simple. It's that we exist, right? And, and I use a logical form to understand how we exist. Is that if I ripped away all my senses, feeling, touch, smell, sight, and hear, what's mm -hmm. left? Unbridled consciousness. Well, right. what is that consciousness doing? It's existing in something, right? So at that base level, I know that I exist and it. I exist in it. So I am, I am, and it is. Very, very simple there. I am and it is. Then I understand that whatever I am has a relationship with what it is. And that's the only thing I can ever have with it. I can have a relationship with whatever it is, whether it's another human being, whether it's my environment, nature, whether it's the internal drives and desires and emotions or understanding my, my own spiritual nature, I can only have a relationship with it. That relationship is derived through the attention or the focus that I give it. The quality of that attention and focus comes about through my intentional nature that is prescribed within my imagination and my mind and is forced through my influence direction at that relationship. That, that's my whole philosophy. And, and from that, we can en encapsulate all understanding of the world. And from that, I actually got this, is that we evolve spiritually, physically, mentally as a species because we learn the things that we did not know that we did not know. Now, my buddy Max Egan would say that, no, 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 no. We're just remembering what we forgot. Yes, I understand. But right now in this perceptual reality, we are, if we learn things, we did not know that we did not know those aha moments, those epiphanies that drives evolution. And this is why I always say that it's, it's pertinent that you have to discover yourself. You have to discover that inner being with inside yourself. You have to have that relationship. You have to nurture it. You have to give it focus and attention. You have to have the aligned intentions towards that inner self. I also say this is that I can't know you, right? I cannot be inside your mind. I cannot think your thoughts. I cannot feel your feelings. But when I communicate with you, we have this relationship that develops of which I can understand very, very, very different perspectives of who you are. And the reason that is, is because of my own personal development has built me up to certain levels of mental faculties, of spiritual faculties, of my physical body and, and the, the sensitivity to electromagnetic, um, um, energy and, and how my, my, my eyes and my senses interact with the environment. And so I can sense you through the buildup of how well I know myself and my own mental development, which means that I can only know you through the level of understanding and knowing that I know myself twice first, that same thing goes to my relationship with God. I can only know God as well as I know myself. Like that's my whole philosophy in five minutes. And it's pretty simplistic, but, but when we look at these other people, it, it's all about the service to the self, the, the gratification of the self. And see, this is where the deviation happens because I'm not learning myself for self gratification. I'm not trying to understand who I am to, to enjoy and bask in emotion. I'm doing it for discovery, for, for intrigue, to, to truly learn the deep down desires inside my soul of who and what I truly am. And there's a big difference there, right? 
Absolutely. And you said it. That's beautiful the way you stated that. What you're what you're really describing, just another way of saying it, is you become conscious of your own consciousness. Yep. And there's another thunderbolt. Oh, I love that when that happens. Um, <laughs> so yeah, H.W. Percival said that the key to to thinking and destiny is to become conscious of your own consciousness. And that's something these elite have no interest in. They're more interested in everybody else's consciousness. That's why they develop consciousness warfare. Mind control, anyone? Propaganda, right? All of these things are the focus not on themselves and having a relationship with their own, becoming conscious of their own consciousness, which is another way of saying becoming aware of the light within you, right? Which is the creator within you to the degree that you become aware of it is to the degree you can express it. That's what differentiates genius from mediocrity. Genius is aware of that drive. They develop an ambition, a desire to create and then share that creation. Whereas the lack of the recognition of light within you results in psychopathy, which results in the desire to control the consciousness of other people to the degree you lack control of your own consciousness is to the degree you want to control the consciousness of others. So they're entirely focused outwardly. And that goes back to that reciprocation, that two way motion universe. Consciousness is also two way. It can think inwardly, right? Let's do an experiment. Everyone, you ready? Close your eyes. Now I want you to think, that you're on the beach, sitting in a chair, in the sun, you can hear the waves, look out at the ocean, you see the waves, your feet are in the sand, you can feel the wind, you can hear the seagulls. Okay, now open your eyes. Where's that happening? Hmm. You couldn't hear it with these ears, you couldn't see it with your eyes. So your consciousness is in reverse, looking inwardly, and listening inwardly toward the soul and your soul can manifest any reality. So it's called imagination. That's the opposite direction of the way that psychopaths think they strictly think outwardly through their senses. And what can I acquire today? Who can I control today? Who can I scare today with my one way Machiavellian street of fear to keep my control and my rule because Only fear can keep me in power. So the minute you put yourself in a vulnerable state, which is what love is, true love is reciprocal. You have to be ready to receive an angry stare or a mean look because you're not going to be a perfect person in any relationship as much as you try. So yeah, that daring to listen and relate to other people, even God, You have to relate to that consciousness within you, and that is directed inward, which is one half of a true consciousness looks as much inward, and then the other half of that consciousness looks outward. And that's that could be called ego for externally generated outlook and ego for internally generated outlook. Hmm. And those two make a complete consciousness. It's reciprocal. It's a two-way universe, a two-way universe of consciousness moving in two directions, outwardly and inwardly, as within, so without, as above, so below. But it's hermetic in a sense, but you you, you nailed it, brother. And, And that 
philosophy, if more people had it and realized that to the degree that your consciousness is aware of itself as consciousness is to the degree that you can manifest things in the external world that really go to the heart of what your desires really want to do. And in, in the sense that your awareness is prime, prima optimum, mm-hmm. you know, you, the prime actuality is consciousness itself. And, and you have to, that begs the question, what the hell is consciousness? You can't put it on a scale. You can't weigh it. The, the brain surgeons and the, uh, the people studying the brain and brain waves cannot locate it. They've tried for decades and they still can't find where it emanates, where from, whence it comes and where it goes. It's unmeasurable. They have their intelligence test, but that really doesn't prove anything. You know, it's that the intelligence test is restricted to the imagination that created it. It can't go beyond that. It's walled off like an application. Applications, apps are limited to the imagination of the app developer. Mm -hmm. But you put a kid in nature and it's boundless imagination. You put a Walt Whitman in nature, he writes leaves of grass. Everybody cries and has illuminations of their own, right? You read The Secret of Light by Walter Russell or experience uh, a Tesla coil for the first time, and you're like, wow, this is magical. So the consciousness that is aware of itself as a conscious entity of a two-way motion of looking inward at itself, but also seeing the outward world and being balanced, that's the key. Too much outward, too much ego. If you have no outward, what the hell are you? You're a daydreamer. Hmm. You sit on your couch all day and do nothing with your life but daydream. What good does that do? You know? So too much external, too much internal, bad. Find the happy middle. You know, use your consciousness to express, but also to look inward and derive the desires that will, that you can manifest. You know, you can freeze your consciousness into thought by creating bodies using these two strong arms. That's what we're designed to do. We're designed to create, you know, and we live in a creating universe, not a created one. And so that's, that's really getting to the purpose of your life is using consciousness to create in the way that the divine creates nature. Well said. I love that. Um, and, and, and I'm going to press on this because I, I really want to know your thoughts on this. Um, I, I got my own kind of perspective on it from studying this stuff for, for many decades like yourself. Um, what do you believe consciousness to be? Well, I would say it's a form of awareness, you know, um, I have to hearken back to Walter Russell because they described it in a way that made a ton of sense. Are you conscious that your heart is beating? No. Are you conscious that your stomach is digesting food or that your blood is circulating or that your liver is filtering your blood or that your kidneys are filtering or that your bladder's filling up? No, you're not. So that would, would be what the Russells would call instinctual control. And instinct control is what the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the mineral kingdom run on. It does. It's in other words, another word for it is God control, mm-hmm. is instinct control. And man over the ages has been released from instinct control to pursue 
his own free will, which rises out of instinct. And this is my whole dissertation on free will and evil, which is a study I'm currently doing and have been doing over the years, but I'm going to eventually do a documentary on. But free will is only, po- I'm sorry, evil is only possible because of free will. Hmm. You take away free will, evil disappears. Think of that one for a minute. So consciousness really is, animals have consciousness, rocks have consciousness. Every cell, every atom in the galaxy is conscious of its purpose to a degree. Much of it runs on instinct and that which we call humanity is freed from instinct control, which gives it the free will and the capability of doing evil or unbalanced actions. You don't find unbalance in nature. If you do, it's quickly rendered correct. Again, if, you know, a tornado swirls, it doesn't, the tornado eventually dissipates. It doesn't go on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the so consciousness really is, I would say, the power behind all of nature. It's the power that creates man-made things. And to the degree that we're aware of our own consciousness is to the degree we can wield it. Hmm. But it's really, it's awareness itself, but it's also knowledge, it's truth, it's power, it's light. You know, there's a lot of synonyms that you could use to describe it, but it's very difficult to define. It's it's a great question. Well, in I like how you ended that there. It's very difficult to define. And typically when I'm I'm talking... Um, to to people who have a level of understanding of these things, the esoteric, the occult, understanding of consciousness and mind. Um, you know, I, I go through various different questions, and definition to me is very, very important, how we define things. Um, last night I was asking people, I said, well, what's your definition of God? And I would say that my definition of consciousness and my definition of God are one and the same. Right. That if I was to, to define what God is, I call it the absolute, the all totality, that it's unknowable, it's incomprehensible, it's unimaginable, because to imagine it when I am within its existence, I'm only a piece of a whole of which I cannot comprehend the whole because it surpasses me within I mean, intelligence and everything. And so I look at it as the absolute. I look at it as the primer field. I look at it as the thing that brings about all of existence, all of reality, the the underlining field of manifestation. It, it is all of these things and more beyond that. And I like utilizing definition for these things because one of the other questions I ask is how do you define nothing? And what is your thoughts on that? How do you define nothing? Uh. Noah Yuval Harari. (laughs) You know, that's a good question. Um, Well, I've asked myself this before. Nothing would be the undivided, which is really the creator. It's, It's not consciousness is, again, you can't prove it. There's no measurable system to weigh it. You can't put it in a cup. You can't collect it. You can't create it. 
you can't, you can wield it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's something that is substance less. And again, this is imagination. Same thing. Power is at 90 degrees to motion. It's there's no power in a seesaw. It's in the fulcrum, you know, and that's just like a lever. Like Archimedes said, give me a lever long enough and I can move the whole universe. But the power is in the mind because nothing moves on its own. It requires a mind to move. And nothing would be beyond our senses. But when something's undivided or still, you know, I could say I hear no sound from a guitar. But when I pick it up and my mind causes my hand to strum those strings and I produce a chord, then I'm hearing it. But from nothing, which is silence or stillness, comes vibration, comes sound, comes motion, comes tone. It lives in a body we call a note or a chord, but then it returns, guess where? Back to nothing, to stillness, to silence. So there's a great chapter in the book Atomic Suicide by Walter and Leo Russell and it starts on page 107, and the name of the chapter is We Define God. And that is a powerful chapter. And if you want, I can pull it up, because I, I would yeah, rather yeah, defer to them. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. But yeah, it's uh, I would say the undivided, still sexless, white magnetic light of mind, which is not apparent to the senses of man, is how I would define nothing in that sense. So I'm also a little jaded to prefer the Russell teachings that did go into those kinds of things. No, understandable. So before I give you my definition of nothing, nothing, this is kind of the mental process that I went through to get it is I, I started realizing that epiphanies and aha moments, these were the things that evolved and expand consciousness. This is this is true evolution in its own right. And so I, I, I sought to seek where those things come from. Because if we think about it, you know, where do those things that you did not know that you did not know come from? If they're not within the known, then they're coming from the unknown. And so I define nothing as, as uh, undefined. And the reason is, is because the moment you define it, it becomes something. And see, nothing has never existed. And the fact that it's never existed gives rise to the fact that everything has always existed. And it exists within the stance of ultimate duality. But everything always existing pulls from the nothingness for evolution and expansion. That this is where these, these ideas that have never been thought before in the universe, which expand our everything, come from it derives from this nothing from this pool this endless infinite darkness if you want to call that void of nothingness that derives all these things that we do not know that we do not know that expands mind consciousness humanity the universe other species entities and beings and so this has actually drawn me to um, make it a goal within my life to go out there and try to think, try to pull out of that void the things that nobody's ever thought about, the ideas that nobody's ever conceptualized. No, imagine having an idea 
that no other being in the universe has ever thought how mm -hmm. powerful that one thought is that's like my drive that's my the thing that keeps me going keeps my mind running yeah that's well said um you can only think that which you know now now why can some people do some things that others can't because they know how to do them if you knew you could do them yourself if you knew how to sculpt, you could do it. If you knew how to figure skate, you could do it. You'd have to teach your body the techniques, but knowing it in the mind is the prerequisite for being able to do it with the body. That's the orderly flow of creation, creator creation. And when Walter Russell looked at the universe from the eyes of the scientific community back in 1921 and had to learn how to communicate his illumination to the world, he realized how wrong science was in their view of the universe. They completely shut the creator out of the creation. Mm -hmm. And he said that was the cardinal error of science. In other words, they shut consciousness out of Absolutely. creation. Yeah. They closed the door on it because that's really what the creator is. God is consciousness itself. Yep. And I, I like to say this to people, read the Bible and replace the word Lord and God with the word consciousness and see what a different meaning the book takes on, right? Yep. Spot on. Instead of God said, consciousness said, oh, you mean I have consciousness too, right? It's no longer this external hierarchical angry white man on the side of a mountain killing firstborns with lightning bolts. Suddenly it becomes interpersonal. You know, meaning that, oh, I've got consciousness too. If God is the all conscious, then to the degree that I can access that and pull down little bits of knowledge of my own is to the degree that I can then express using my body that new knowledge which I've acquired. That's the light bulb. You know, the guy who invented the laser was at odds. He was about to lose his contract. And what's he do? He walks in the woods. This is the early late fifties, early sixties. Can't remember the name. Can't remember the exact day. I do remember the story though. He walks in the woods to get some inspiration and suddenly he gets a flash, flash of light, right? How many times have you heard that? How many times has that happened in your lives, listeners, yeah. that you've gotten a flash of light and inspiration and you're in the spirit of consciousness and you get your little download, your light bulb goes off and you suddenly know something that you didn't know just one minute prior to that. It's an aha or an epiphany. Aha, right? And so that's that's proof to me that we can access, you know, we think that's an accident or we say it's, you know, it, it is an inspiration and it happens to all of us. We all get inspired. But instead of following our inspiration, many of us go and turn the TV on and we forget about it. We don't write it down. You know, a lot of people used to advise you and myself early on, and many people have said this, sleep with a notepad by your bed. So when you wake up from a cool dream or you have an idea or an inspiration while you're sleeping, you can write these things down, but you should also follow your inspiration. That's what's mm -hmm. going to lead you to, you actually can multiply these happenings by being aware when an inspiration comes I mean, what inspired you, Josh, to, to create all these different podcasts? Certainly, you must have had an aha moment yourself where you went, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do this. And you followed through with it. That's a beautiful thing because then you've got a body of work behind you. And I had a lot to say. Yeah, that's the soul wanting to express yeah. itself. 
You know, you had to, this is your way of, of putting your balance out there to get your balance in yourself. You have to release this stuff and you did it in a very constructive way that also benefits people who listen to it and benefits you in return. I'm sure. You got a lot of good fan mail and probably some, some really nasty stuff. Everybody gets that from time to time, but the nasty stuff comes from those who have not yet found balance in themselves. That's why they're able to give that unbalance out. You can't give away that which you do not first possess. And you cannot do things which you do not know. We have a term for that. It's called experimenting. Mm -hmm. And many people experiment like Walter Russell's friend, Hudson Maxim, who created smokeless gunpowder, blew off his right hand because he was doing something with the gunpowder mixture that he did not know what the result was going to be. He lost his hand because of it. And Doc admonished him. He said, you should have called me. I'd have told you, don't mix those things together. It's like <laughs> a bad marriage. You know, you get the wrong people together, you're going to end up divorced because right. we are chemicals in the end of the day. And understanding a, a, a greater scientific uh, cosmology, like a Russell cosmology, is something that I think is going to be part of the solution to where we're going, embracing new teachings, getting out of this consensus reality, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, into a more spiritual, holistic outlook and understanding, too, that, you know, to the degree that we're aware of our own consciousness is to the degree we can employ new knowledge, which is going to help, you know, it's going to create the solutions more and more. As they say, necessity is, I like to say, the mother and father of all invention. Mm -hmm. And we are in a time where we're going to, where necessity is becoming more and more imperative, especially as we're faced with all these uh, created crises and even natural crises, which are being created from <laughs> the unnatural, if you will, as a reaction to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And as well as the, the rise of AI, with AI coming in to be that product of, of innovation to replace that aspect of necessity. And so what would that do to the spirit, to the human being? How does that replace the human being? When you have an AI that is expansive in its materialistical logic that can resolve any problem in the sense of chemical interactions and elements or um, physics and mathematics. It can expand technology greatly, but yet the soul is lacking within that progression. And so that's the, the big thing. And I think Jeff Goldblum said it best in the movie Independence Day. He goes, it has become abundantly clear that our technology has surpassed our humanity. But I wait for the day when our humanity surpasses our technology. Bingo. Right? Yeah. And he also said nature will find a way. Life will find a way in Jurassic Park. And, yep. you know, we are nature. Man is nature. And nature, not man, holds the right to the reaction of man's choices. And so if man is also nature... And there's a group of humans doing very unbalanced things. Nature will choose man as the vehicle to counterbalance those imbalances. And that's what resistance is. You know, that's why every great movie always has the evil versus the good. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the great drama of creation. And it's something that you just can't get away from. But that also is what creates the dance. The whirling dervishes demonstrate that, that things whirl and twirl and go forward and come back and come around again. So like great cycles, you know, when this great cycle comes to an end, there's also the beginning of a new one. Yep. And, you know, the manure of civilization is what fertilizes the new flowers that will grow in the next one. And we're, this is the time we're in folks and there's nothing we can do about it, but embrace the light that you can. And, and really that's what so many people talk about going within and and learning and discovering the undiscovered country within you, which Mm -hmm. really is the creative faculties. You know, we talked about parallel societies in the last interview we did talking about house bill 1169 and you know, the need to stand up and, and take action. I think the biggest action we can do is helping to create a new system that will replace the old one, make the old one obsolete as Buckminster hmm. Fuller said. I love that quote because, you know, really if we're going to, if we're going to have, I would like to see consensus on creating a new reality with individuals leading the way in much the same way that Ayn Rand's uh, um, Atlas Shrugged laid out. You know, the the great industrialists, the the great creators, those with ideas and those who support them will be the ones to create the next civilization to come. And that's that's alchemical right there. You know, and we, we have immense power that we have not even begun to tap yet as human beings. Um, That power is inside each and every one of us. All knowledge exists. It can be ours for the asking. We simply have to look inside deep enough and pull out that new knowledge and put it into work, put it into effect. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing we cannot solve. There is no bound. We cannot surpass no obstacle, you know, genius, Mediocrity sees an obstacle. I'm sorry. Mediocrity sees an obstacle. Genius sees opportunity. Love that. Great quote. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. And you're right. And, And I think that what has happened is that this cycle has absolutely came to an end. If we look at the work of Howard Strauss with generations to fourth turning, um, if we just look at the cyclical nature of, of what has happened over the last 6,000 years, we see this progression. We see this system that has been built up, and, and it's really a system of control. In the United States of America, you know, 300 years ago, um, even though that it was derived as kind of independent freedom and liberty derived for the individual um, into kind of a representative form of government republic, um, it was still brought about by men who won the war, who were aristocrats, who had money, who had land, and who looked at other people as lesser than them. I mean, I'm not going to fool myself on that. That was the case, although they were very, very outspoken men when it came to their individual rights and freedoms. And that's great. And I have absolute nothing but admiration and respect for the founding fathers. Don't get me wrong on this. And they produced the most perfect system in the old world. 
And I think that that's important to remember as we move forth into this new world, because a new world is being built here. And this is what I've said on all of my podcasts for years is nothing can stop what's coming. There is a new world that is literally coming. You can't stop it. The question is, is at that point of vulnerability to when the old world begins to collapse and us and the globalists and the elitists and everybody in the world becomes vulnerable, who's going to stand up and lead the charge into the new world, forming and shaping it into the ideas that bring it about? That's the question. And we are coming very fast to that point. Yep. And it's a conscious choice that every individual on this planet has to make. Am I going to be a part of that new world or am, am I going to fight to save the dying caterpillar that refuses to let the butterflies, imaginal cells converge, join up and express the new form? It's really a choice. I think that's and one that, of the biggest again, fallacies within the conservative movement right now. Yep. And free will makes choice possible. If yep. there was no free will, we'd be instinctual. We'd have no consciousness, no awareness or conscious of our own consciousness. We'd literally be just basically animals, but we'd all be in balance. There'd be no imbalance in the human world if we were all instinctual only. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we really have to make the individual choice to take a conscious role in being the solution that we all seek, to borrow words from uh, Gandhi. But if the shoe fits, wear it. I, th I think we're immensely powerful, and when we put our minds to it, we can solve problems. If you look at your own life and the hurdles you've had to get over, every audience member, yourself included, Josh, when we put our minds to finding a solution and we keep working that universe by law has to work with us That's right. and we will eventually get to a point of solution. And if we don't, we try a different approach. We pivot, we, 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 um, we move, we counter, we keep going, you know, you just have to uh, have the fortitude to stay with it. And anybody that's so driven will eventually find a solution to any problem, no matter what it is. And that's individual and collective. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, spot on, correct. And when I look at this more and more, I think that one of the biggest problems, and I know I just said this, but one of the biggest problems in the world today is that most people fighting for freedom are sitting back and waiting for something to happen because they're still holding on to the old world. And I mean, if we can just understand that for a minute, if people could just conceptualize that for a minute, this would go fast. This would happen fast. People would be motivated to produce and create this new world faster than ever before. I mean, if anybody out there has ever gone to the cue boards, there is a cue post. I believe it's around March or April of 2018. He goes, we're going to show you a whole new world. Now understand that. And what has Donald Trump came out and said he's going to do for his uh, agenda 47? He's going to build more cities in the United States, 10 new cities. They're going to they're going to innovate. They're going to create. This is what they're talking about. You have to let go of this idea of the old world and look at this bringing this idea of future uh, or sorry, this idea of freedom, of liberty, of justice into the future of the new world establishing it as its foundation because 
the globalists, the elitists, the, the, the dark occults, okay? What they're doing is they're creating the foundation for the new world while you are still stuck in the old one. Yeah, and their, their dystopic vision of regression, basically, is taking man back to the blackness of his primal jungle. You know, and that's not good for anyone. And if you're assisting in the reset, you know, then that's what you're going to end up with. So we need to be very cognizant of the decisions we make, but also be aware of the power that we wield and that we are the creators of the future. We create each moment with our awareness and our consciousness. You know, every moment is a new moment. Um, so being aware that you're in a position where you have choices and that each choice you make can affect the future either positively or negatively is an important place to be being aware of your own consciousness. And with that comes great responsibility. Yeah. And um, a lot of people for the money are doing extremely terrible things to other human beings. Um, you just look at, Look at that fake apology letter from the Anheuser-Busch CEO today. <laughs> Just pathetic, right? I mean, he, what does he think that people aren't onto that? You know, again, inversion becomes inverted and it becomes laughable. You know, eventually this is just going to become a laughing stock. It's, it's not a well-oiled machine and it's decrepit. It's, it's breaking. It's falling apart. There's all kinds of problems with it. The engine smoke in the wheels, the tires have burned off. They're running on rims, sparking. The gas tank's about to explode. Running through the ghetto. Yeah, I mean, this thing is, we're, we're a thousand miles an hour toward a brick wall. But if you can get on the lifeboat, then you've got a chance to, you know, start working on the parallel system. Absolutely. And you know, that's, I am just 100% optimistic that, when the tough, when the tough, what's the old saying? When the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know, and that's where we're at. We're really going to see who, who's tough and who isn't. But for those around you that just don't have it, you know, the tough can assist. And it's, it's strong men and women who are going to make a lot of the, the sacrifices that are going to remake and reshape civilization and make it stronger. Each civilization, I think, as man rises out of that darkness of his own jungle, his barbaric state, more toward the genius stage that we're moving into, hopefully, um, we'll see more of this light emerge from the soul of men and women. And that illumination will create the future civilizations, which will endure. But we have to really be aware that balance is key in everything that we do. Yep. Well said, man. Um, so, guys, we wanted to, uh, to take some questions tonight. So if you have any questions, whether you're on Rumble, Pilled, um, DLive, Facebook, please shoot them uh, across right now. We got about 10 minutes left, and so we'll take questions for the next 10 minutes. And this was just jam-packed. This was freaking fantastic. Um, and for everybody out there, uh, tonight, right after this show about, well, it actually starts right after this show. So you can go and join this up right after the show. Um, but I will be on in about 30 minutes after the show. Um, if you go to socialredpill.com right there, socialredpill.com, you scan that QR code, or if you just go to that web address, socialredpill.com, 
we have an after uh, after chat, which is known as Fringe After Dark. Um, we really talk about a lot of these topics, expand into them. Um, everybody's invited. So feel free if you guys want to come, just join socialredpill.com. You're going to get a Mighty Networks app that comes up. Join that. You can join it through that. Or I like to go through the web browser. But if you go to the events tab over there and you go to Social Red Pill Zoom, that's where we'll be. I'll also post it on the Social Red Pill. So check that out. Socialredpill.com. Be on there. In about, I'll be on there in about 20 minutes after the show ends. Um, and everybody's invited. So please check that out if you guys want to join Fringe After Dark. And we usually stay up all night and play guitar, sing songs, listen to music. and <laughs> Starts out with conversations about the show and what we were talking about and expanding on it. Matt, you're more than welcome to come as well. Everybody out there is invited. So questions. Let's get the questions now. I got to go back to the chat on this tab. So Gregory Scott McBroom asked right here from Facebook. How are we able to open our third eye? Hmm. A good question what is the third eye third eye is they say the the uh, pineal gland mm -hmm. it's often thought descartes would say the seat of the soul uh, walter russell and leo russell agreed with descartes originally and then changed their view of the seat of the soul as being the heart mm. and the heart so I took it a step further. I, I really like this idea of the center. So your heart has two basic motions. Again, it's, 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 um, it's a reciprocal organ like right. most organs, but all the heart literally is two way motion, right? It's not a pump. It's an implosion regulator. So it's imploding the blood and then expanding and then contracting and then expanding Again, two-way motion. Um, there's an eye in the heart, or I should say there's a center in the heart, but the eye of the heart is the pineal. And I would say that the heart can use its imagination, and that's where the great ideas come from. Um, the third eye, I would say, is the ability to see inwardly and listen inwardly toward the soul. That's that direction that you were talking about earlier. But when you're asking, you know, when you're having a relationship with what am I and what is God, it's the inward direction mm. toward imagination, intuition. It's all the inwards, intelligence, inspiration in the spirit. I love the inwards, the I inwards. You know, they're so many good ones. If you look them up, you'll see what I'm talking about. But all these things that take our focus inward, but the third eye, I would say, is the ability to see the out and the in simultaneously mm. and to choose consciously which direction you want to go. When you're a body-dwelling, materialistic externalist, you don't, you don't get to choose the inward. There's only the body and the senses and the gratification of the senses. And that's what I think a full-blown psychopath is. That's what every member of the cult of Satyanatinus or Satanists or um, the inversionists, if you will, are all about living externally. It's pure ego, which is out of balance. So the eye of the soul or the 
Third eye is the ability to look both inward or outward at will. And that basically puts you in the fulcrum as opposed to being on one end of the seesaw or the other. And I, I like to say that wings, wings are for flappers, <laughs> you know, be the center and then you control the wings, make them work for you. Absolutely. Um, one question was, is can you guys keep on going for quite a few more hours? I said, <laughs> 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 we do that on and fringe after dark. So I put that link in there for you. Another question here, and this comes from, uh, my co-host Vince uh, Taglavia question. What do you think the potential of man is? Easy, unlimited. I like that. There's no limit to it. It's whatever you can imagine. If you do the work to create what you've imagined and desire, the universe must meet you halfway. Absolutely. I love that. And then from Princess Little Eight here, question: How do you know you found your purpose? Can you have a multi- multiple, or does it find you? Both. Um, you know, you found your purpose when the synchronicities in your life begin to increase. Um, you can have multiple desires, and as long as they're balanced, you'll notice that the effects of your choices will also be balanced. When you make unbalanced choices, the effects are also unbalanced. So balance is your key teacher. Synchronicity increases with the more balanced decisions and choices that you make, which multiply in your life. And you will eventually, by becoming conscious of consciousness, by working knowingly with God, which is consciousness, you will multiply that ability and your synchronicity will eventually stop being individual synchronicities and become one long continuous synchronicity. And eventually you learn to command your body and you crystallize your thoughts into form willingly, knowingly, and purposefully. Awesome. Awesome. Um, next one, John Rader. Uh, when two people like y'all get together and create the truth to be known, how does that affect the outcome of what cannot be stopped that what is coming? Are you the leaders we seek? Hmm, that's interesting. I, I would say that th- there's there's a leader inside of everybody, and, and that's kind of the idea, is that we cannot sit back complacent trying to hold on to the old world, but we have to be progressive in the sense of driving in the new world and being the shapers of that reality as, as coming together to lead each other in manifesting the new world. That would be my take on that. I, I can't say it any better. The leader is within each of us. You nailed it. Awesome. And then uh, Patriot of Pisces, uh, question for Matt. She, she specified, this is for you. <laughs> Have you ever experienced a Kundalini awakening? Not in the classical Kundalini sense of a feeling of a rising of the energy around the spine up to my skull but I have had at least 11 minor, and I stress the word minor illuminations. Um, One lasted three days and literally that one changed my life. I had the experience of my own immortality. Uh, I wrote some extremely inspired writings down, which are in a video in my YouTube or uh, at my website called Angela Sperata or Angel Inspiration basically is what it stands for. Those writings are in that video. It's about a 15 minute long symphonic piece that I 
co-wrote with a guy from the UK. Um, I've had five minute illumination experiences. I was driving home one day from a friends in the country and experienced an incredibly radiant sunset of deep purple hues and violet and blue and indigo. And I was literally catapulted out of my body in a, in a state of illumination floating, hovering about three or 400 feet above the vehicle, looking down at the vehicle and seeing the sunset without obstruction from the trees. That was a total mind blower. Hmm. Um, I could feel myself driving the vehicle. I was like connected by threads of light flux threads. You could say my body still operated, but I was completely conscious and could see the sunset with, with my inner eyes, but I was not in my body that lasted about 45 minutes. So yeah, I, I, uh, I've had these extremely incredible experiences. One was, um, in 2015 on February 2nd, lasted about 15 seconds. I had just finished a, a massive production. It took me several weeks to do. And upon completing it, I literally fell to my knees, burst into tears. And I was just encapsulated in, in this light experience where I wrote down the next seven years of what I was going to do for the University right. of Science and Philosophy. And it gave me basically a name for each year, which was a blueprint that I was to follow, which included three and a half years into it, acquiring a museum for all the artwork, the 64 tons of art and sculpture <coughs> belonging to Walter Russell, that I would acquire this building and set all this stuff up. So there's been some incredible things that those experiences happened to me. I would equate them to a Kundalini, but more on the classical illumination sense. And again, I say minor because a major illumination would be like a Walter Russell who for 39 days in the light wrote down hundreds of charts and drawings and 39,000 words, which became his message of the divine Iliad, which he was to give to mankind, which is also known as the secret of light or the cosmology that he was destined to give to man, which is a two-way motion universe versus a one-way heat death dying universe. So it's it's within each one of us. We all have the potential to tap these into this experience. And uh, it just takes desire, really, and recognition of the light within each one of us. Very cool. Very cool. And the last question, this will come from Hillbilly Jekyll. How can we all help shape the collective conscious for the betterment of this time? by shaping yourself to be the best human being you can be. And that is the best way to affect the collective. You don't have to take slaves. You don't have to trick people, mind control them, usurp their individuality or ask for consensus. You simply find and follow your own inspiration, live your true desires, follow your heart and give from your heart to your fellow man, balance yourself. Then you can balance your home and then worry about the neighborhood after that point. But it all starts within. And when you do the work within, you're going to have the ability to do the work without. Well said, Matt. Oh, man, fantastic. Comment. We're going we're gonna to have you on so much more. I can't wait. This is going to be a good year. We're going to me, you, David, we're going we're gonna to collab and me and you will talk. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a good year. 
Um, you guys can find them at www.mattpresti.com for all the audio listeners out there. M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I.com. Go check him out, mattpresti.com. He's also got a YouTube channel that's linked up on his website. You can check that out. Um, fascinating conversation, Matt. I much appreciated, man. Um, for everybody out there who wants to join us, socialredpill.com right there. You can scan that QR code after dark chat starts immediately after this. If you go to the events tab, the zoom link is right there. Social red pill zoom. I'll be on in about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, but that fantastic, man. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Much appreciated. Hold on just one second. Um, you You guys take care. Have a great night and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it is indeed brutal. And uh, they call me I patch the game. <laughs> I think it's, I, I haven't, look. Frankly, uh, if you look at the media, where the media is a closed media, we don't have an open free media anymore. They don't want to hear anything. They don't write about it. It's, a, it's collusive. It's, uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it. It all happened during this period of time. It happened just before the election. They wouldn't talk about certain subjects that you know better than anybody, Michael. And, uh, you know, that's the beginning of communism.